0: The Lord, in reading this past week and in prayer, He spoke this into my spirit for today. <clears throat> there's there's complete uh, uh, a completion here in this in this moment of our service. There is a completion both in what we've done, heard, said. We have honored all things, and we have. Cast great vision, and I feel there is a great spirit of unity, and I pray that the body will receive it and so wherever you're standing, wherever you are, whatever position life has led you or you have found yourself, I want you to know that the Lord is complete in all things. He is a God of completion. He never leaves anything. Um, undone. <clears throat> Exodus chapter twenty-five and verse number ten, and they shall make an ark of sheatham wood. That that's that's acacia wood. That's another word for acacia. And the acacia tree branch. The acacia would have been the same um, palatable branch. Um, that had thorns on it and would have been woven into a crown of thorns. That was the most likely um, bush tree available for the crown of thorns that Jesus would have worn, the acacia. But also in the tree, there's this very defined wood and I've seen it and held it in my hand. Those shall make an ark of sheathen or acacia wood these are measurements, two cubits and a half shall be the length of it, and a cubic and a half the breadth, a cubit of the height. You will overlay it with gold, pure gold, within and without. Thou shalt overlay it and make upon it a crown of gold round about it. It's a, a little casting border that rises from the top of that, of that uh, arc. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be on one side, and two rings on the other side. And thou shalt make staves of sheathem, or acacia wood staves, uh, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne or carried with them. Here's the last verse I'll read. And the staves shall be in the rings of the ark; they shall not be taken from it. Another version says they'll they should never be removed from it. Amen. And I deliver this for your consideration without the staves. Amen. In the name of Jesus, help me to receive the word with all readiness of mind, as they did, I'll search the scriptures to see if these things are so, and it will be the completion of my life. Amen, amen, amen. I feel the presence of mighty angels in this room here today. There is standing guard great angelic beings in this house today I feel their presence and it is commissioned they are commissioned by the Lord of hosts the King of Glory has commissioned this to be so Amen would you receive that? do you receive what I just said? come on lift your hands and say thank you Lord you're 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 in this moment. And you may be seated. I thank you for standing. The baronial architecture which lines the frontal street once founded by Empress Catherine the Great can hardly be comprehended by the plain facades of our own modern complexes. She called it the Hermitage Museum had housed her most impressive collection of paintings given to her from a merchant friend. I know how quickly those statements are swallowed up. I wish I had time to divulge the whole. Just know that the American mind struggles with the beauty of an age gone by, a Fabergé egg encrusted with jewels or a meander motif crowning the marble archways of 1880s Paris Boulevard, perhaps the Matamartre. Some pieces were grand, some were in construction for a century or more. Some commemorated the newness of a land, our own Statue of Liberty. Some held in private collection. But none were greater than the most precious Ark of the Covenant, for it was designed by God himself, communicated to Moses, constructed by the hands of master craftsmen. In relation to so many other pieces, this golden chest was relatively small, about 45 inches long and then 27 by 27 height width. It was made of this acacia wood, I spoke to you, then overlaid with gold inside and out. The lid was the same, but on the lid were two cherubim facing one another, wings cast forward, heads slightly bowed. All of the earth's treasures, her architectural designs of yesteryear, all of her discovered, buried, or created works will never measure up to that small golden box where the God of glory came to rest. One time per year, the high priest entered into the most holy room and sprinkled blood, the blood of an innocent lamb, on the mercy seat. Then, in a moment of wonder, God came to accept the sacrifice and removed the sins of the nation for one year. Think now. Put it in your mind's eye. Blood was spilled. Then, in a transcendent supernatural measure, the skies broke open. The cloud came down. To describe it is A task beyond measure. Our language has exhausted so many things, not the least of which is the word awesome. But in every real sense, this was awesome and terrifying. The supreme omnipotent reaching his hand into the firmament that his voice once spoke into existence. This swirling cloud akin to a tornado hovering over the tabernacle and then funneling its way into the Holy of Holies to make witness of the recompense made by the high priest. It was nothing short of a life-preserving moment when the nation was held in balance. The cloud consumed the blood. God, in form, received it as an atonement rather than destroy the people whom he had chosen. Mercy sat down and spread out her hands to hold back the proper justice from a willfully fallen nation. All of it happened at the Ark of the Covenant. It was more than Israel's national treasure. It was the embodiment of God himself. No one had seen God, but the Ark of the Covenant was enough to know that he was among them. No one had ever visit, visited the heavenlies, but the Ark gave them assurance that the celestial realm was in their camp. Only Emmanuel could boast of such a presence. God among us, with us, by us. And upon the ark's conclusion and construction, from its inception, Moses placed the testimony inside of that ark, the chest. The testimony was the Ten Commandments. It was the law. And while the law found a resting place there, take note everyone, even the law was covered by the mercy seat. God's nature was set for all time. Yes, he is a holy God, but his mercy is without fail and his grace abounds and great is thy faithfulness. God knew that his law gave them constraint, but his mercy gave them hope. They and us needed both. But it was not just the law that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. There was manna also. God Provided for the children of Israel. All those years of provision. Manna. Food. The blessings kept coming in manna. Food. Sustenance. Manna had restrictions, however. It was not to be kept overnight, except for the day before the Sabbath. It was was held in strict confinement. If it was kept, or if it was hoarded... It would rot and decay. Worms, maggots, gnats would swarm the leftover manna. Because manna was a tender, temporal, and fleeting food. But when they put the manna into the Ark of the Covenant, it was preserved. It stayed fresh and alive. I'll read it for you. Exodus 16. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. Inside of the ark, things are preserved. Things are kept. They never spoil. Now the law and the manna were joined together. Direction and provision. Constraint and blessing. But there was one more thing. It was called Aaron's rod. But it was also the same rod that Moses used before Pharaoh when he stood before Pharaoh and all the magicians were there. When he cast it down, it became a serpent. And his serpent swallowed up the rest of the serpents. We call that the superior serpent. Mm, I want to preach the superior serpent. (laughs) It was the same rod that Moses used when he stood before the impassable Red Sea. And he lifted the rod and the waters parted. They walked through on dry ground. And while it had no root, it wasn't connected, it was just a dry staff, a small dry staff. It was the one that budded, blossomed, as a sign from God. It was the supernatural, miracle-working power of the Lord. Here's number 17. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony, that's the, that's the law, to be kept for a token against the rebels. So inside this golden box lay the tablets of stone, an enduring pot of manna, and the miraculous blossoming rod of Aaron. They had it all. The people had power, direction, order, provision, wonder, and so much more. God had chosen it and they had it in their possession. All of it working together to lead, to keep, preserve, remind them, direct them, cultivate. God left out nothing. He never leaves out anything. He equipped his people with wonder, with statutes and principles and order and the supernatural. But along with these things came the peripherals. Notice in the text what the Bible calls staves. Staves. These were long poles which were designed to fit through the outer rings of the Ark of the Covenant so that when it was transported the priest would have something to hold on to. And there was four, maybe eight, priests that would transport the Ark of the Covenant holding on to the poles, the poles, the staves on their shoulders. No, those staves are not technically the Ark. No, they were not. They did not assist in rolling back the sins of the people. They were a far cry from the supernatural working of the budding rod of Aaron. The pole staves. They had no lure like the pot of manna, which was a witness for generations to come. And I suppose that to the people, as the years went by, the poles, they staved, they just seemed so unnecessary, inconsequential. And in time, that is exactly how they were treated. The people sought the ark. Don't get me wrong. They loved the ark, but they did not seek for the staves. They huddled in reference to speak of the ark, the funneling cloud, the blood, God's visitation, but no one considered the staves. The people were careless with the poles. They... They thought of them as non-essential, gratuitous perhaps, dispensable. Who cares about the poles? We have the ark! Yet in the coming years, David will find out the high value of those small things. He could see the outer loops attached to the ark of the covenant, but he didn't know what they meant. By the time David became king of Israel, no one knew about the staves, and there was no assessment of the outer rings. Decorative, maybe? Without the staves, the ark's attached rings held no meaning. Maybe they were just additions, loops. Who knows? Who cares? We have the ark. Yet when David sought for the return of the ark of the covenant and went to retrieve it, something terrible, horrible happened. David was transporting the ark on a cart pulled by oxen because he thought that's how you move God around. And in a moment of unwanted movement, when the oxen stopped to pummel their hooves, the cart tipped, shook, and the Ark of the Covenant came close to falling to the ground. They were gassed at the moment when Uzzah put forth his hand to steady the Ark of God and the Lord God struck him down where he stood. Death brought an end to David's desire. The judgment of God was severe and quick, final. God was not... And he is not enamored with our good intentions. God always demanded obedience. Both then and now. Because he is a holy God. He's a holy God. Say that with me. He's a holy God. Say it with me. He's a holy God. Now I want you to do it like me. Kind of scour. Squint your eyes. Lean into that. He's a holy God. Come on, say it. He's a holy God. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not like anybody you've ever witnessed. He's a holy God. David was befuddled. He still has no idea why God would deal such a devastating blow, especially in light of his own good intentions. In fact, the Bible says David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. What's wrong, God? That you would do this. I can tell you what he did wrong. At the root of it all, I can tell you. You see, he was following the path of his dismissive forefathers who discarded and scorned the basics. They never told him of the purpose of the staves. They never explained how you carry and you're supposed to carry yourself. He looked at the Ark of the Covenant without ever knowing the purpose of these rings. They they all saw them, but somewhere in the distant past, a group of people witnessed the staves. They took notice of them for a moment, and they they said, these poles are meaningless, maybe cumbersome or useless. And they said by their actions that they were better off without the staves. So they discarded them, and they discarded what they deemed unnecessary, non-essential And in time, no one knew what they were missing. Things were missing, and they never knew what was missing because they had never seen it. You see, the progression never stops. Once people dismiss the small things, or change the definitions, or compromise their convictions, other things are soon to follow. The believer will never give up just one conviction without giving up another and another. Christians will never just pull out one thread that they don't appreciate or like because one thread is connected to the whole. And once you pull out one thread, you'll pull out other threads too. You'll pull out a thread of conduct you didn't know it was connected to the name of Jesus in baptism. You'll pull out a thread that you don't think is necessary and it'll be connected to the infallible word of God and speaking in other tongues. This happens all the time. You'll pull out a thread that you think that's just unnecessary and when you get done with that thread, what you'll find on the other side of that thread that you've dismissed is the essentiality. You'll dilute the Godhead because they're all connected threads they're like the old tapestries which were connected throughout they will all eventually come together it took david three months to do the research they put the ark of the covenant in a nearby house because they were afraid i believe that the entire realm of the monarch were scrambling to find out what was missing three months i don't think three months was any set measure of time. I think it just took them that long to figure out what went wrong. They were looking through all the books and the scrolls and people were commissioned. I can imagine that happening. They were without the staves and they had no idea that there were even poles to begin with. Watch it now. David will recover it. He's going to recover it, finally. They're going to figure out, oh man, we didn't have poles. We, we should never have been carrying this ark like this. We... we No wonder why God was angry. We've dismissed his law. They were never to be removed, and someone removed them. And finally, they made them again. And they'll bring, finally, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And then afterwards, and I'm racing through time, Solomon, his son, will rise to build the temple. And they'll put the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. By the time that the Ark of the Covenant was found in a permanent home in Solomon's temple, Watch now, the pot of manna, God's provision, and Aaron's rod, God's miracle power was gone. First Kings eight and nine. There was nothing in the ark save the two tablets of stone. That's the testimony which Moses put there at Horab when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. First they removed the staves, then the covenant, then the coveted provision. They took that out. Then they embraced the miracle and they took that out. They left the law because people love the blessing and they love the power, but they reject disciplines. They stripped the ark of the covenant. And took out what pleased them or what they thought was unnecessary. They used it. This ark, they used it in an attempt for self-gratification. They used it because they thought this will get us somewhere. We got God. We've got the ark. And so they brought it into battles. They carried it into war, which was never God's intention. God's intention was never to bring that ark of the covenant into the battlefield. But they thought, "Hey, this is a good thing. You know, God comes down. Let's we'll just bring him right along." It was never God's thought. They mishandled it by ignoring God's plan for transport, calling it a needless bur- burden until it was finally stolen from them and the enemy took it. God said, "The staves, God said, the staves were never to be removed, but they laid it aside. They laid all that aside and whatever they deemed unwarranted, it ended in judgment and loss. Like the lady at the restaurant when we were standing in line turned around one Sunday years ago and said to me, It's all about Jesus. You know, it's just all about Jesus. She repeated it the moment she heard that I was an apostolic Pentecostal. It was her way of belittling the staves. I knew what she was doing. And I replied, Yes, and it's about obeying Jesus and his word. And we had a mutual agreement right there, me and her, that we did not see eye to eye. And we smiled and ordered chicken stuffed <laughs> she was she was enamored with the whole thing of the glory but she had no staves and she had no law because we lose the power and the provision when we disregard the boundaries of right living and if I come to think that the staves of the poles are insignificant that godly set-apart life is insignificant I will eventually have no revelation and I'll have no authority I hope you can hear this with your spiritual ears. Watch pastor now. Are you ready? Everybody? If I think that church attendance is inconsequential, or the fellowship of the saints doesn't matter, or a Bible study, or commitment of any kind toward the church or the kingdom is unnecessary, there will eventually come a time of total loss of God's purpose for my life And I will raise up a family who have no idea that the poles, the staves, ever existed. And they'll think these other things are just decorative items in the church. And the enemy will come to take what God intended for me. This is what those backslidden Pentecostals are calling unnecessary yokes. They're just backsliders. They're not more spiritual and they're not enlightened. They're just backsliders. They're posing as people who have power, but they have no power. Because the power and the provision must rest with the law. Mm -hmm. But I stand today to preach, there is a right way to live, and there is a right way to talk, and there is a right way to walk, and we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and it matters how we carry ourselves, wherein lies the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. Because he's a holy God, and he will not be mocked. He's a holy God. Inside holiness, it's called integrity. You can't buy it at the store, it's called honesty. You can't put it on yourself. You can't, they're not like a pair of shoes or a tie or a purse. You don't carry it like that. It's called honesty. So before you get to anything, you got to get down to the heart and get pure and get honest. Why? Because he's a holy God and he sees beyond the facade. Inside holiness is called good conversation without hypocrisy or lies or gossip. Which we've all given ourselves a pass for gossip. Because you thought that you obeyed some rule, and so that gives you free reign reign to gossip. Or you said it somewhere in the privacy of your home, never knowing what the Bible said. When the Bible said, God said, I saw you and heard you when you were in your tent. See, God hears you in your bedchamber also. As if the location of your gossip changes the nature of your words. Oh, I'm preaching today. Because he's a holy God. (laughs) And outside holiness, that's called a standard of appearance. Not sexual and not sensual. Not arrogant. Not flagrant. Mm. These are hard terms. (sighs) For a selfie world. for people who love to take pictures of themselves so that other people can view what they look like. And not just what they view, but not really even who they really are. Because we have a thing called filters. I don't really know how it works. All I know is that it can make you taller, shorter, thinner, better looking. It can remove all your blemishes. In fact, it can turn you into a person you really aren't. So when people meet you in real life, they don't really even know who you are. And you have to introduce yourself and try to convince them, oh yes, that's me. And then you just have to say, boy, things have just gone downhill for you, haven't they? (laughs) And that's where people repeat, you must have been going through some hard times lately. (laughs) Because you presented yourself as someone you're not. Because you didn't understand that's all about sensuality. And it doesn't have to be vulgar to be sensual. Oh, man. He's a holy God. He's a holy God. And the staves and the poles and the loops, they all matter. One allowance leads to another. One dismissal leads to another dismissal. One thing removed is a progression for more. And the first may not seem so bad, but the next and the next will end in judgment and loss, yes. Here's your Bible from Paul's writing to the church in Rome. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Because when you make provision for the flesh, you fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me read again. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. There are people who are believers today, but they are believers by persuasion. Praise God. Someone taught them the scripture. They were persuaded. There are some who, like Paul, have been given a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. It's an awesome thing. When God gives you a revelation of who he is and his word and his truth... And you wake up and you realize this is true. But you've heard no voice, but God led you there. By persuasion or revelation, it's wonderful. But there are others who come to church and to God just by nostalgia. They have no real convictions. They just have memories. They're attached by the loose threads of their childhood or parents or grandparents. They're not vested in living a holy life. They have long since removed the staves. Some love the blessings of God. I understand that. They love the enduring manna. But the moment that they have trouble, financial duress or lacking something, they're missing something, feeling like they're not doing as well as other people are doing. The moment the blessings run out, they're gone. They'll leave it. Because they took out what they thought was theirs and had no love for the whole. Some embrace the miracle But if the miracle does not come, then they doubt the love of God for them and they doubt the voice of their leaders. Why? Because they didn't pay attention to the plan of God. They stripped their walk of God's purposeful things and they said, I love the Lord and that's enough, all the while failing to adhere to the plan of the Almighty God. Jesus said it like this to the people of his day. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you paid tithe on mint and anise and cumin, but you've omitted the weightier things of the law judgment, mercy, faith. You just left them all out. You ought to do these and not leave the others done. That means do everything. Don't leave anything out. This is a millennial old conflict don 't remove the staves and take notice of his testimony. Yes, there is provision and power, and we just heard about it and saw it witnessed up here. But they work best when they are combined with the standard of holiness, with godliness, and with constraint. The diminishing of the basics destroy our connection with god we 've got to get back to the basics. And get connected with God and it may not seem like it's real necessary, but you can find it all through the Bible I'll just read you three instances Acts 17 and 2 and as his custom was this was a custom Paul went to church On three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them. He went that was his custom Here's Daniel 6.10. Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went to his house. He knew that the government was against him. But he opened up his windows and he kneeled down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God just like he'd always done a four time. Because that's what he did. That's what he did. He said, listen, I'm not changing my habits. I'm not taking out the staves. I'm I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to pray three times. I'm going to do it every day. Morning and noon and night and morning and noon and night. And if you give me trouble, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up the window and just pray real loud out the window. But I'm not giving up my routine. No, I'm not giving up my routine. I will keep doing what I know is right to do. Let's let's find the perfect man Christ Jesus Luke 4:16. He came to Nazareth. This is his hometown where he had been brought up. And I love this word. And as his custom was, even Jesus had a custom of going to the house. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Could could I just have a little creative liberty? He went to church on Sunday whether he felt good or felt bad or was in a bad way or had a bad week, he was in church on... Come on, somebody. Hey, hey, someone. Watch, watch what Pastor's saying. You want your family to be healed. You want the provisions. How about some constraint and some order? How about getting back to the poles and the staves and say, we're not going to let that go because the moment you let that go, there's going to come another people who never knew it was even there and they're wondering why they're missing something. And they're wondering why they don't have that together because you stripped it. Let me tell you, nothing in God is trivial. Nothing is insignificant or minor. Nothing should be discarded or cast aside because to move with or be moved by or to move through the Holy Spirit will entail an obedience to God. And if we don't have obedience, we'll never know that the most basic things give us the ability to relate to the supernatural and to get all... Of, God wants for us. Don't trivialize any aspect of the church or your walk with God. It's all important. Everything is important. What you deem, hear me, what you deem unnecessary may very well be the means by which the Holy Spirit can move and function in your life. He wants to function in your life. We need complete total unity and commitment in God. That's what we need. I'm not talking about the corporate entity. I'm talking about as a people. I'm talking as a body of Jesus Christ. We need repentance and we, and, and, and we need rejoicing. We need giving and we need sacrifice. We want blessings and we want miracles. We need all of that. We need to get our families together and we need to reach our families. And then we need to go outside of our doors and we need to reach the community and bring them inside to our fully functioning families. We need our seniors to lead in prayer and exampleship. We want our young people to lead in fire and power and boldness. We need to cry at these altars and kneel down before God and bury our face in the carpet. And then we need to run, get up and run and shout and dance and rejoice before the Lord. We got to have everything. Wait a second. You need the preacher, but you also need the teacher. The preacher is anointed Exhortation But the teacher is anointed explanation And you gotta have it all come on you gotta have everything you need all of it You can't take out anything because it doesn't work, right? So I say Let's wash our face. Let's get up Let's put on Jesus in the morning open up that Bible in the morning set your house in order I walked through a store just the other day. Uh, it was uh, the, the, about a week or two into January. I walked through a store and I was, I was, I was not surprised. I've seen this many times. I walked through the store to find a lot of storage tubs being sold. After the holidays, the, the, the merchants, they know now it's time to store all the stuff we sold to you a month prior. Mm-hmm. and I bought those years ago the black storage container with a yellow top I have them but they've come out with some new ones they're so neat I really like them <laughs> I don't have enough stuff to put in the, in the in the totes that I have now but I would just like to have more totes but I know what's going on here I, I, I know what's going on we, we, we're not in order our houses are not in order We gotta get it in order. Get disciplined with your life. If you, if you looked up and said, well, I don't know if I can give or make a commitment, make a commitment. Don't you know that God will come through for you when you make a commitment? When you're not, when you're not in order, when you're not in order, you're in chaos because you can't be in peace without order. Peace comes through order. Peace comes to order. If you're in anguish, it's because you're not in order. Go back and, and look. Now, now, what does that mean? Now, what, what were they talking about? I, I never knew what those loops were for. I didn't know. Oh, that's going to bring me peace. Oh, that's, I'm talking about daily disciplines. Make it a custom. My custom, my custom, my wife's custom, our family custom is to, is to worship the Lord in the sanctuary. That is our custom. And our custom leads us to revelation. It's a discipline. It's a constraint hear me I know that many of you understand what I'm saying and I want you to get to this You got to get back to the things that matter do not take anything away Do not strip out anything, but you go back to your first love and say I'm going right back to the place where I started I'm not going to give up on God or the things of the Lord. I'm not going to count them inconsequential and they are not unnecessary That's right. Come on hear the word instead of crying over the chaos take back the simplicity of routine there is a supernatural moving of the holy spirit but if we discard or set aside the staves and we live without the staves and think that maybe that doesn't matter and that doesn't matter and that's just tradition well hold on a second you didn't throw out all of your tradition i guarantee you did not you didn't throw out your tradition Some of you are excited about today's tradition, and you've already prepared to eat as many trans fats as you can possibly get into your mouth. You've got five or six bags of potato chips right now waiting for you. All the Cheetos a man could ever want. That's your tradition come the third Thursday of of November, you got a tradition because you all have turkey and dressing and you got all the stuff. That's your tradition. And you got a Christmas tradition. You got a birthday tradition. And I hope you have a wedding anniversary tradition. None of those are in the Bible. You got a birthday tradition. You want everyone to know it's your birthday. You're happy about The cards, I mean they're not real cards, they're digital cards, right? You know, someone says happy birthday, they didn't write you anything, just they just they just put something on your phone and then you open it up and the balloons and confetti and then it's gone. (laughs) Didn't take any real work. You like that tradition, don't you? You want someone to celebrate and 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 you like the tradition for your children, so you're gonna get cupcakes and get all the stuff. You like Valentine's Day, that's coming up. I know that's not in the scripture, but we love that. We were just reminiscing about how much stuff we had to bring to the school for all the kids to have Valentine's Day. Got all that tradition. But when it comes to Wednesday night. But when it comes to Sunday night. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on the first Saturday of March. A prophet is walking into this room. Mark Morgan is coming here from California. And he is a dye in the wool prophet of the Most High God. And it would benefit you, your family, and everyone you know to get in this house at 6 o'clock on the first Saturday night of, of March. That was, that was, there was no, almost no support for that word at all. About 20% of you clapped your hands. Because you already have plans for the first, you're thinking, well, why would I go Sunday Saturday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night? What are you talking about? We're doing everything for the world and for our own life. You should be feeding your eternal soul with the word of God. I stand up here to say, don't take out the staves. Come on, New Life Fellowship, and everybody that can hear me. We are in the last days of time, and we can ill afford to lose anything. We need all the discipline, the constraint, the power, the miracle, and the provision of God. I don't want us to get to the very end and say there used to be a day when we had miracle signs and wonders there used to be a day, but everybody forgot about that day, and we took out a couple things to make life easier on us. No, 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 no. When we get closer to the end time, we got to get more fervent in our spirit. When we get closer to the day of the coming of the Lord, and that great terrible day of the Lord comes, there ought to be a church set on fire. We ought to be doing everything for the kingdom, and we ought to be consecrating ourselves with commitment been dedication and if anyone ever tells you do you think that if they question you and say well you think that's necessary you remember the word from the pastor I will not live without the staves. I'm not gonna live without the poles I'm not gonna live without the small things yes it's all necessary And when the pseudo-Christian community tells you, well, it's all about Jesus, just know your answer is yes. It's about obeying the word of the Lord and being obedient to his voice and his scripture. And don't let them convince you that they've got any real power or any real authority over the enemy or the devil. Because if you don't have the name, you don't have authority. Wait a second. Watch my friend. The Bible says, "Thou believest that there is one God." That's good. That's wonderful, James. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. But let me just tell you what he, what else he said. You're doing pretty good. But let me tell you what the devil's response are. And then he said, "But the devils believe there is one God, and they tremble." So unless you believe in one God, you have no authority over the devils because they're not going to tremble around you because you don't believe that there's one God. But if you believe there's one God, you got authority over the demons and the devils and the darkness. Your pastor now, because the new birth is the blood applied in repentance, is the blood applied in baptism, and is the blood applied in the resurrection power of the Holy Ghost. And we're all about the blood. And we're all about the blood and he's a holy God and we're gonna live a holy life and a right life and we're gonna start by going down to our heart and we're gonna dig out all the stones of our heart and we're gonna get some inside holiness so that our words are matching our belief and our statement so that there's love and integrity and embracing of all people so we don't walk around looking down on people because we have the Holy Ghost no no no, you're not doing that you're looking at them and loving them can you're considering your own self you're saying hey I know what it's like to be lost, and I know it's like to be hurting, and you're going to wrap your arms around them because inside of your heart, there's love and acceptance, and, and there's forgiveness, and there's mercy, and there's grace because you know that on top of the law and what to do right, there is a seat called mercy, and you've got it, but within that law, within that testimony, there's power, there's authority, there's provision, there's sustenance, everything you need. The clock has struck noonday, and we must stand. And this has been a great day in the house of the Lord. Now, I could call for an altar call, but most of you have already been down here about four times. You guys keep coming down to the altar for altar service. I'm going to start preaching at 10 o'clock, and you can just do whatever you want to after that. We're going to have a Holy Ghost revival. We're going to have an explosion. We're not giving up anything. Come on, don't give up anything. We're not giving up anything. We're not giving him anything. Amen. Uh, I, I, for those that are watching, you may not know it, but but there's a, something we call the East Wing. It's just we, we've can, we've taken a wall out so more people can do. And some of you watch the screen. How do I look up there? Do I look okay on the screen? I don't know. I want the. Could you get a filter for me? Can you get a filter? If they get the filter, just keep looking at the screen because that's how, how the man I want to be. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have revival. Revival. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to teach and we're going to preach. We're going to leave anything out. We're going to do it with humility, love and grace, tender, merciful humility. We're going we're gonna to continually raise our families in the only truth found in the Scripture. Jesus gave them the doctrine. The apostles took it. They call it the apostles' doctrine. That's where we get the word apostolic. It doesn't really matter what the word is. It could be Pentecostal. It doesn't matter what your word is. It's just that this word is right. <laughs> so we're just going to stay in this book right here. And we're not going to hang our hat on any denomination. We're just going to anchor our soul in the word of God. Because the denomination is not going to save you, but the word of the Lord is going to save you. Amen. It's going to be blood. It's going to be Holy Ghost. It's going to be the name of Jesus. We're always going to baptize in Jesus' name. In fact, the water is warm today. If you want to be baptized, the water is warm today because the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among us that will save us. Acts 4.12. In the name of Jesus. Here's Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Bible. And we're going to pray that miracles and healings will flourish in this house. And then we're going to live a life of constraint that's so counterculture... That we're going to look like a peculiar people. Because our investment is not in this world. We follow a higher law. And that's the law of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We are kingdom minded people here today. We're going to dedicate our children. We're going to recover the people that are addicts. And have addictions. And we're going to love them. And we're going to bring them in. And we're going to treat them as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's right. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. And they're going to come from all parts and all places of the world. And come into this house to find refuge and strength. Put on a new face. Put on Jesus Christ. Make, make no provision for the flesh. Go and tell somebody, this is why we do that. Because it's in the word. It's not inconsequential. It saves us. Because we are people filled with the spirit. And we've got to move in the spirit and with the word.